Today we are with Fernando Gatica. He's uh, joining us from Mexico, from Acapulco. And we're just uh, talking about how to teach English to Spanish speakers. So I want everybody to know Fernando in the first place. And there is not better way to know him than watching one of his videos, for example, and look ¿Cómo se dice at his letra approach. In English? Letter, lyrics, or writing? Las tres son correctas. Déjenme explicarles la diferencia. La traducción de letra es letter cuando te refieres al abecedario. Por ejemplo, ¿cuál es esta letra? What's this letter? La traducción de letra es lyrics cuando te refieres a las palabras de una canción. ¿Conoces la letra de esta canción? Do you know the lyrics to the song? Y la traducción de letra es writing cuando te refieres a cómo alguien escribe. Fernando, tu letra es fea. Fernando, your writing is ugly. ¿Cómo se dice letra en inglés? Oh, all right. So this is Fernando. We have him here on our live today. Hey, what's up, Fernando? What's up, Fernando? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No, no, no. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, all right. So Fernando, as I said, he is uh, based in Mexico at the moment. So I'm based in Ireland. That's the good thing about technologies. Yeah. Um, Fernando is a native speaker. I'm not a native speaker, but as you can see, we can communicate. And that's that's the most uh, when we speak languages. I've always said to my students, you have to worry about being an expert user in your mother language or in your native language or in your language one, however you want to call it. And then on your second language, you have to worry about being better every day, but being able to communicate. So to those of you that are coming to this live, um, again, this is Fernando. Fernando, can you tell us a bit about you? Um, where did you learn English? Why did you become a teacher? Was it a mistake? Do you regret it? Come on, tell us. <laughs> I, I don't regret it, actually. Well, when I was two years old, my mother um, immigrated to the United States. So... And even before I was a baby, you know, she would read, you know, books to me in English. We would watch cartoons in English. But I think moving to the United States is where I really, you know, started to be involved a lot with English because, well, you know, life over there is in English. I had American friends and things like that. And I, I started speaking Spanish at the age of one. But I mastered English first. I, I think I, I knew English a lot more than Spanish at the age of like three, you know, because I was talking to American kids all the time, taking classes with them. And it was, it was just in preschool and in the neighborhood, in the park. So I, I learned English in North Carolina, North Carolina, the United States. Um, I studied there. I grew up there. I worked there. I made my friends. You know, I made friends there, and um, it, it, that's where I learned English. And then, at the age of 20, I came back to Mexico, and I was I was looking for a job. I had already worked at different places, but um, here where I live, it's a tourist area. I was a I was being I was a waiter in two different restaurants, and usually when you know when the when vacation season stops, 
so do you know the high the high levels of income you know when you're a waiter you rely a lot on tourism at least here in the city so i saw that the tourism you know was going down i was like okay i need to get a i need to find a different job so i was you know looking for jobs where i could benefit um from where my where i could benefit using my english and a job appeared to be an English teacher at Harmon Hall. Harmon Hall in Mexico is, is or was one of the most prestigious English schools here. When I was working there, they had about 70 schools in Mexico and I think even a school or two in Guatemala. So everybody knows Harmon Hall as prestigious. And um, I was very fortunate that they accepted me without any experience and without any qualifications. And they told me, like, okay, we will train you and we will um, get you certified so that you can teach English. And that's what they did. You know, I, I got um, first I had to get my TOEFL. I had to get my TOEFL so I could prove that I knew English. But um, for them, that was an important thing. And then I started getting like certifications from Cambridge, the, the TKT and, and things like that, you know, that gives me some validation to be a teacher, to, to prove that I can teach English as a second language. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it, especially when I um, separated myself from these schools. Now I just do things, um, you know, my way. My, I make my own groups. I teach my, my students, like, I don't have a director. I don't have a coordinator. I am the teacher and the director and the coordinator <laughs> and the cleaning guy. <laughs> All right, all right. So, do you do everything based online, or do you have like a like an institution or a face to face environment? I, I right now I am doing everything online, um, but I do have plans on opening up a school here, and with more teachers and things like that. All right, perfect. Is this your main income, Fernando? Because, for example, I I am a teacher. I am an English teacher, and I've been teaching for I don't know the past twelve years. I'll say, but. But this is not my main main income at the moment. I, I, I have I have a full-time job here in Ireland. And the full-time job is in education, but it's not teaching. I am a social pedagogue, which is a totally different concept. And yeah. I work with Irish um, children. And yeah, it's beside the point now. But is this your main income? Like, is that what you do for a living, actually? Yes, th this is my main income. You know, I do other things like flip things, buy things on the internet and sell them for a higher price. Um, I also, you know, make money working with different companies on my... What, what an average what an average millennial would do. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but this is my main income. This is what I live off of. Okay, okay, very good, very good. So how long, how long ago did you start doing everything on your own, like as an independent, if you want to uh, label it that way? Um, I started January of last year, so okay. almost two years independent. All right, all right. Always have has it always been in, in Acapulco? Yeah, always in Acapulco. I, I like it here because everything is cheap, and it's kind and it's beautiful. It's kind of dangerous, but it's really beautiful. And where I live, it's kind of like a gated community, so I don't have to worry about you know 
getting robbed or getting kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a conjunto cerrado for those of you that are watching us from Colombia. Yeah, um, cerrado. I love that word. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah, that's how we that's how we will say it in Colombia. Obviously, in Colombia we have loads of them for the same reasons. Yeah. So when you live in a in a conjunto cerrado, you feel safer. Definitely. I used to live in one of those when I lived in Colombia last time. All right, all right, Fernando. And tell us about your students. Are there are they all from Mexico, or you have students from all around the globe? I have students all over North and South and Central America. Um, I don't really work with people from Europe because of the time difference. You know, it's like six, seven, eight hours of difference in time. So it's usually not convenient for them. That's why I stick here to North America where there's only like one or two hour. Um, there's only a one or two hour difference in time. But yeah, I work with everybody from, you know, from zero. Like if you don't know anything, I can help you. Um, or if you are like an advanced student and you want to like learn professional terms, I can help you with that. I also prepare students for the TOEFL and for the IELTS. I'm muted here. I'm muted. Okay, uh, Fernando. And do you do one-to-ones or just group classes? I mostly only do group classes. Um, I do have two students who are one-to-one and they usually live in the they're usually from the United States because they're trying to learn English as fast as possible. So, you know, one-on-one -on -one courses are the most, um, the, the, the best way to do that. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, all right. Before we go into the main subject, which is teaching English to uh, Spanish speakers, I want to see this, this video about how to say como se habla inglés, right? Adjetivos cortos. Is that the one? Yeah. Let me, let me just update it so I can get it from the beginning. Hablar inglés es más difícil que hablar español. Speaking English is more difficult than speaking Spanish. Okay, muy bien. ¿Y cómo se dice hablar español es más fácil que hablar inglés? Uh, speaking Spanish is more easy than speaking English. Actually, lo correcto sería speaking Spanish is easier than speaking English. Easier? Sí. En inglés hay tres tipos de adjetivos. Adjetivos largos, adjetivos cortos y adjetivos irregulares. Los adjetivos irregulares son como good que se convierte en better y bad en worse. Con los largos usa more más el adjetivo. Más difícil, more difficult. Más interesante, more interesting. Con los adjetivos cortos usa el adjetivo y agrégale er. Más fácil, easier. Más rápido, faster. Ahora tú, que estás viendo este video, ¿cómo diría mi hermana es más joven que yo en inglés? Escribe tu respuesta en los comentarios. Suerte. Okay, we have no comments here. Or, or we actually do if, if people want to throw the comment there and, and, and tell us how to say that in English. All right, uh, Fernando, what is it? Uh, you say most of your students are from Central America and North America, as, as, as what I'm picking up. Yes. Have you ever had any non-Spanish uh, speakers uh, in your class? Mm, no, I, I, I don't think so. All of my students... Um, their their first language is Spanish, definitely. Okay, we have yeah. Daniel Gonzalez there. Um, Fernando, my sister is younger than me. Is that right? Nice, Daniel. You got it correct, man. Oh, <laughs> all right, Daniel. Very good, very good. Okay, so um, so most of your students or all of your students are uh, Spanish speakers, right? Yes, 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 so yes. Do you use 
Spanish in your classes, like like we're seeing it in in your in the videos, or is it just English, just yeah, target English? I, I do use Spanish in my classes. You know where where I was working, speaking in Spanish, speaking Spanish in class was like prohibited, and I was like, why? You know, why is that prohibited when it could help students, especially you know the beginners. Yeah. When, they don't know, when they don't know much English, like how are they going to understand what I'm saying if if I'm not, um, you know, using some Spanish? Of course, there are ways to teach your students just in English, but I feel like using Spanish sometimes could ease up some of the explanations. And I and, you know, some students that like they just learn by translating, you know, Some students, they are, they learn by listening. Some students, they learn by reading. Some students, they learn by watching. And some, they learn by translating. So I have to be able to give my students what they need. You know, I have to meet their needs. I remember I had a student. Her name is Teresa. I hope she's not watching this. <laughs> I had a student. Her name was Teresa. And, and one day, I didn't go to class. So uh, I, I was sick and she had a substitute teacher and the substitute teacher uh, went, went in there with, with Teresa and her group and she was teaching her a word. Um, no, the teacher was teaching her a word. I think it was schedule, schedule. And, uh, and, and she was like, what's schedule? And schedule, you know, like the things you do every day, oh, like activities. No, 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 no. Like, you know, the time we had these activities uh, and she was like, she's just confused. She's like, and he was like using different techniques, you know, showing her pictures, showing her demonstrations, drawing for her. And, and she got really angry. I'm like, solo dímelo en español. And she got angry with him. Now, like, and when he was telling me this, I was like, dude, why didn't you just tell her in Spanish? Is you you could have just continued with the class. You probably wasted five ten minutes trying to explain one word to her when you could have just translated to her and continued on with the class. And he was like, "Well, you know, they don't allow us to speak Spanish." I'm like, "And do you think that's okay?" And he's like, "Maybe not, man. Maybe not." So, and that day, you know, it it changed my perspective completely. You know, some students have different needs, and you know we have to make sure that we meet their needs and and i, I well i think that's the most important thing in in a class I, at least yes uh, especially especially when they're adults and and obviously they have they have different needs but they also have different interests yeah. some i like for example i have had students that just want to learn english as a, not as a second language but as a foreign language just to visit the states and be be able to to ask questions at the airport, for example, or to order something at the restaurant. And that's all they care about. They yeah. don't want to speak English. They just want to back themselves up with English as a foreign language. And that's what we have to keep in mind. That's why I'm with you. I think we should use um, Spanish or whatever their mother language is in the classroom. And this will bring us to a, to a different debate. And it's the debate about having to be a native speaker or having to speak only English and not their mother language. How how will you do it? What do you think about that? Do you think that teachers must be native in order to teach English, or yeah, do you consider that that non-native teachers can 
do a good job as well. Definitely not. I, I think that is such a ridiculous thing to say because there are different accents around the world, you know, like even the United States, you know, a New York accent is not like a Georgia accent. You know, there's, it's much different. So why is it so important for you to hear a specific type of accent? I think the most important thing in terms of um, sounding like a native, the important thing is that you pronounce words correctly, you know, not necessarily have a native accent. It's kind of ridiculous. But of course, you know, we we use that. And I think schools use that as a marketing tool. Marketing tool. Yes, 100 yeah. percent. So, and, and students eat it up. They eat it up. Man. Oh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Even <laughs> even some English speakers, they they asked me if I, if I could teach them Spanish just because I'm native. But here comes another debate. Debate. I am native from Colombia, and over here everybody wants to learn Spanish from Spain. And obviously, what? it's way it's way <laughs> different. Like I have loads of friends from Spain now, but it's way different. Like we can't even speak Spanish ourselves. Like I tell them, you know what? Speak English because we so many difference. Like to the carpeta for tapete, for example, which is carpet or rug, yeah. they say moqueta, and I'm what? like, what the hell? They yeah. they don't say they don't say piso they say they say suelo instead of floor for floor they say suelo they don't say piso piso yeah. is the whole flat or apartment yeah. so it's so many differences like and and it, it comes really hard to satisfy Europeans when they want to learn Spanish from Spain. Well, so, you know what's interesting is that well, at least in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of people who speak Spanish is that Colombia has the most beautiful accent. Like, obviously there are different accents in Colombia, but yeah. the ones that we hear are like the most beautiful. And I think even us as Mexicans, we can agree that Colombians have the best accent. So right. thanks, whoever thanks doesn't want to learn Colombian Spanish, they're missing out on the best type of Spanish. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks for that. I'm pretty sure most of my audience would be happy with that because lo lots of them are from Colombia. So yeah, thanks for that. It's it's sad now, it's, and and it's also something we don't value when we learn English. English is way easier than Spanish. I I just did once. I did an exercise about a straw. I I was like, okay, this is a straw in English, and it's a straw in down the UK, in Ireland, in Australia, in Canada, in United States. Everywhere where you you go, it'll be a straw. But if you go to Mexico, it's a popote. If you go to Colombia, it's a pitillo. And don't ever say pitillo to a Mexican because he'll kick the <laughs> hell out of you. So yeah, yeah, and if you go to Spain, I think in Spain is pajita. And 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 I did the exercise, and I and I and I told my students, leave a comment below. How will you call this in your country? And I got like twenty different names yes. for this. Yes, twenty yes. different names. <clears throat> I don't know. If we bring it to English now, we have in English we have uh, the univer universality of English, something like that. I, I forgot the the exact word from Noam Chomsky, yeah. and that's basically that we have an airplane is an airplane anywhere in the world, anywhere in in any speaking English speaking country, is an airplane. Whereas yeah. we have different words for different things, even in Spanish. In in where I'm from in Colombia, I'm from Pereira. We'll say candela for the lighter but if you go to the coast for example they'll say briquette 
And yeah. if you go to a different country, they a different city, sorry, they'll say mechero. And I think in Bogota, they have a different word. I don't remember. Maybe if there is someone from Bogota, uh, they can tell us. So it's Spanish is so hard, like so, so hard. Yeah, there are too many words for the same thing. And in English, it's just like two, the two words for the same thing, usually. Oh, yes. All right. I'm going to throw this question to you, Fernando. They say Gustavo Osorio. He says, hello, teachers. I have a question. What do you think about influence of the environment in the English learning process? I believe I believe he's on about immersion. I'll say I'd say. Yeah. What do you think about that? Is that important? Uh, is there a way to do a digital immersion like? Because back in the days, you had to travel in order to do right. an immersion process. Is it is it possible to do an immersion process? Yeah, you know, um, when I came back to Mexico, I struggled a lot because I didn't know much Spanish. And I know it's shameful because I'm Mexican. I should know Spanish, but I didn't. I admit it. I'm sorry. And when I came here, I was struggling. I couldn't talk to people on the street. I couldn't make friends. And it's it was depressing because I'm a social person. I like to socialize with people. And that kind of like brought me down. So, you know, once I started learning all of these teaching techniques, I decided to apply them to myself, but in Spanish. And so what I did is I stopped listening to music in English. I stopped reading books in English. I stopped watching videos in English and everything was in Spanish. Um, only music in Spanish, Jose, Jose, Luis, Miguel, reggaeton, all that stuff. Um, books in Spanish, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and um, all the famous English books, but in Spanish and only videos in, in Spanish, like comedians and YouTube videos, and things like that. And I did that for one year. And that year is where my Spanish, you know, exploded. I, I learned so many new words. I made a lot of new friends. Um, I was participating more in family discussions. And I think now, thanks to technology, students have the, the option to do that, you know, but they had to do obviously in English, you know, don't listen to music in Spanish anymore, just English, no, no, no novelas, just sitcoms in English and read books in English, you know, that, that's how you can definitely submerge yourself in English and find people to practice with on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. It's, it's easy. It's fun. It just requires a little bit of effort. That's all. I have I have myself a, a WhatsApp community with my students. It's a public one, it's, and it's just the only the only aim of that is um, immersion. So they they will whoever joins they know that we only have three rules: only English messages or voice notes or whatever. No politics, no religion. Other than that, you can freely talk about whatever the hell you want. And it works. It works. Some some days people don't participate, but other days people participate a lot. And, and and that's just a way if you come to the States, if you come to Ireland, for example, I have my WhatsApp groups with uh, my workplace with different social groups, football teams, whatever I join. We all have a WhatsApp group and we all communicate in English, obviously, because it's Ireland. And it's the same story. The group I have in WhatsApp They all communicate in English. Some of them do it with mistakes. Some of them do it with no mistakes, but they all communicate, which is the point. Exactly. After you communicate, it's like a baby. A baby starts talking. He will communicate his way, her way. And then as he or she grows, 
he will improve and make it perfect, right? Exactly. So, and and I think um, adding adding to the to the answer for Gustavo, I think it is it is very important the influence of the environment or the immersion process. But nowadays, you don't have to leave your country in order to join an immersion process. Exactly. As Fernando was saying, you can watch YouTube shows, you can read the news, you can do whatever you want in um, in English or in your target language. Like myself, I'm learning Italian, so I do loads of my things in Italian in order to pick up that Italian. And it works. Hernan, could you, could you tell me or and tell us a little bit more about your WhatsApp group? Like how... how... How does it go? Like, is it just in the group or do students like in exchange numbers and they start practicing by themselves? Um, do you send a topic every day? Like, how do you go about your WhatsApp group? It's 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 just pure natural. Like you just I just created the book, the, the group. Sorry, I invited invited people. I some some days I just throw the link on my Instagram stories. And I'm like, hey lads, if you want to if you want to practice your English, join this group. And, and yes, they change numbers. I know I've read that some of them, they live in the same city. So they have, they have agreed to have a coffee together and practice their English. That's cool. And man. some of them are watching. I know that Daniel, for example, it's in the, in the WhatsApp group. I know, I think Gustavo is in the WhatsApp group as well. And they just practice. That's it. Sometimes I throw topics, but I try to participate the least I can. Because I have, I, I I don't have much time, you know, so yeah. they the group can't be dependent on me. That's just an English speaking group with people from all around the globe. We've had students from Argentina, not even students. Like not all of them are my students. They're just people that want to learn English. That's and, great. And that's just like an immersion group. It used to be a Telegram group, but for some reason in Latin America, Telegram is not that used. So I I emigrated to WhatsApp and it it worked. It's better now that it's uh, on WhatsApp. So the majority we, of the students are from Latin America. I have students from Latin America and from Europe, uh, from Spain, and yeah, most of them. But mine are most mostly from South America. I have a couple of them from Mexico, and I want to tell everybody that is watching us to follow Fernando's account. Is Roba uh, English with Fernando, right? At thank you, thank you. At English with Fernando, because you have to get used, lads. Lads, you have to get used to different accents. As you can tell, my accent is way different from Fernando's. Some people say that I've picked, I've picked up an Irish accent. I still think I have like a mixed between Irish and American. And other people say that I just have a Spanish accent. So I don't care about my accent. All no. I know is that I can speak English, but. What's if for sure is that you don't sound like a Latino. You don't. All right. All right. That's good then. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you, you, I don't know. It's like a combination of American, British, Ireland, even like, um, I would even say Indian. It's like just a mix of that English. You have that. It's, it's, it's unique. All unique. right. All right. Thanks. Yeah. I, it has to, it, ha, it has to have some Irish there because I've been living in Ireland for a couple of years now and, and I work with I work with children, so I, I've picked up all these Irish idioms. Like they say, like some of them don't say hi; they say well. Uh, t- well. Tell your tell your friend I said well. And, and at the at the start, I was like, "What the hell is well?" 
<laughs> and and then I realized that they say well just to say hi. Like like for in America you'll say what's up. Hey, what's up, dude? Yeah. Hey, well. So in is not in the whole country now. Ireland is a small country. You'll find accents all around the island. Um, but when I'm based, they use the well to say hi. Well, yeah. how are you? Um, so so yeah, it's I, I the only thing I care and, and I've told my students is that I'm able to speak English. And I'm able to hold a conversation at any level with an English-speaking person, with uh, a non-Spanish-speaking person. And that's the most, like, uh, the more hours of experience you gain, the better your English will become. Yeah. You know? That's it. Uh, we have we have another question here from Daniel. It's, there a great difference between the face-to-face -face teaching in an academy and a virtual teaching? What is the better way that have you taught English? I have my experience myself. I have experience in a face-to-face -face environment and on a virtual environment. Myself, I prefer virtual environment because, because I have loads of tools. I can take advantage of loads of accents and I record my classes and there are 24-7 classes. We become 24-7 uh, teachers You can access our videos anytime in the, and as many times as you want. And there is um, something called, uh, in Spanish, is presencialidad asistida por tecnologías, which is basically a face-to-face -face class. That, that's my method. Face-to-face -face class, but through these platforms. We all, we all have to attend the same time. We try to make it look more likely as a classroom but it's all, it's all virtual based. So answering to Daniel, obviously face-to-face -face environments have advantages and online environments have advantages. From the teacher point of view, from the teaching point of view, I prefer virtual, but it's all on the students because I have had these students in, in class from the bed, live yeah. on the bed. And and that's, the yeah, from, from a couch like this, slouching. That you won't get anything from the class if you do that. That's all, yeah. all is about attitude. But what do you think, Fernando? You, do you think it's better face-to-face -face or virtual? Well, you gave the teacher perspective, and I think all of us would agree that virtual is better for us. But I don't know. I think for students, it depends. Like, if you are a, a, a child, I think it's better that, well, it's better if you're, like, face-to-face -face in class because, you know, children, I believe, learn better hands-on, like they need to use their hands and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, working with kids, you know, teach them how to draw the number one. ¿Cómo se dice hablar inglés es más? <laughs> teaching them how to draw number one or um, teaching them how to write the color red, you know, R, E, D. And it would be complicated to do that online. You know, there aren't many hands-on activities online. There are a lot of games, but um, it's not the same, you know, as touching and feeling different things. But with adults, I think it's more convenient for them to take a class online because they don't have to waste money on transportation. Um, you know, in Latin America, at least, you don't have to risk your life going out. And... Here in Acapulco, it's really hot. You know, you don't have to get to school all sweaty and stuff. Um, you don't have that problem of getting stuck in traffic. 
And if you have a good internet connection, then the class is really good. You know, you have the you have the teacher and your classmates in your ears, you know, because of your headphones. And you can participate, you know, there's an option where I can put you or teachers can put you in a, in a private room with another classmate, you can practice one on one with them. So you can, I, I can teach you in a group. And then I can distribute you so you can, you know, practice what I have to, I have just taught you. And that's the most important thing, you know, listening, speaking and having a conversation, you know, communication. That's the most important thing. Oh, Rash, very good. I totally agree with you now. Sorry, I was closing the tab of the uh, Instagram tab and it went on the audio. Um, um, I agree with you. It all depends on the age as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. If you're thinking about children, I, I'll, I'd say it's, it's better face to face. Right. 100%, especially because they might not know how to how to use uh, the, all these uh, tools and technologies and stuff. Yeah. Uh, we have another question from Franklin Mora. I have tried to watch movies in English, music in English and podcasts in English, and I still I still can't understand uh, what I hear. How can I improve? Um, you want to give it a go there, Fernando? Yeah, I want to first I want to ask how much have you tried? Um, a lot of times um, students read one book or try to read one book and then they give up. They try to watch one movie. They don't like it. They give up. Listen to music one time in English and then they give up. You know, that's not going to work. And it, at first, I want to say that it's normal. It's normal to not understand everything. Um I, I, I like to I like to talk about experiences when when students ask these types of questions. I have a another student. Her name was Jackie. Jackie started learning English with me from you know from zero. She didn't know anything, and um, I I gave her and her group classes about twelve months, and then they they switched they switched teachers because I was still working at a school. And um, they decided to change teachers, you know, rotate teachers. But in that year, um, Jackie improved so much. You know, there were seven students in that group and all of them started from zero. But Jackie improved like so, so much compared to the others. I would say that in those 12 months, all of the students went to B1 but Jackie went to almost a C1 level of English. And I, I started talking to her, I was like, what did you do, Jackie? And like, um, no, I just watched movies uh, every day, one, one, one show every day in English, and I listened to music every day in English. I read books in English. I'm like, but how? You're, you started from zero. How did you, you know, how did you do that? It's like, well, I took your advice, you know, and she, she was conscious that if she did these things every day, You know, the first three to six months, they're hard. You're not going to understand everything. But after those three to six months, your ear, your eyes, they get used to that, um, that they get used to English because of the submersion. So I, I forgot who asked the question, but I'm going to go back Franklin to the, is the same. Franklin, right? Franklin, Franklin yeah. Uh, going back to the original question, how much have you tried? Because I don't think you have tried enough. And 
you should keep trying. Like, don't don't give up. Don't give up, you know, and, and start with easier things. You know, don't think that you're going to watch a first movie or watch a first watch your first series like and you, you think you're going to understand everything no especially not like if you're watching things like Grey's Anatomy Big Bang Theory all of these um specialized shows about science medicine uh, law I don't recommend that you watch those you know I, I recommend that you begin with cartoons um think about the audience if the if the cartoons are are directed to smaller children then they're going to have easier english if the the cartoon or the show is directed to like teenagers it's going to be more complicated and if it's directed to adults it's going to be even more complicated and if the audience is dedicated to like you know scientists medic um, doctors or lawyers judges that's going to be even more hard. It, that's, that's even going to be like more difficult. So just think about who these shows, who these shows are made for and think about your level of English and try to position yourself. Like if you are a beginner, you need to watch like shows for kindergartners, you know, maybe like the backyard against Dora, the Explorer, um, the back, the backyard against Dora, the Explorer, Max and Ruby, Clifford, the big red dog, the Berenstein Bears, you know, watch things for children. If you are intermediate, you know, watch things for young, well, um, preteens or teenagers. And if you are an advanced student, then yes, maybe you can start watching adult shows like maybe The Simpsons, maybe Family Guy, maybe um, Shrek and things like that. And if you have like a really, really um, advanced English level, then you can start watching, you know, shows like The Big Bang Theory, Crazy Anatomy um, and stuff like that. But, you know, think about your level of English and think about what the movie show or series is directed to and try to position yourself, you know, try to position yourself. The same thing with music. Don't think you're going to understand Eminem if you have like a beginner's level or intermediate level. I would begin with something, you know, soft or something from the 40s, the 50s, the 60s um and things like that you know begin with easier stuff level it down once you get comfortable you know move up another level a hundred percent i hope i hope um franklin feels happy with the answer if not you can always ask again we're nearly coming to the end um i don't know fernando if you want to tell us about your english courses uh how many hours per week how many hours per month do you give them a certificate Um, again, this is, is, is not that Fernando and Hernan are competent each other. No, uh, you know, everybody that follows me, you know, that I am more into politics and, and journalism than into teaching English. So I've always give advice to my students, follow accounts from different teachers. And if you think that Fernando's courses are good for you, go on and enroll. But Fernando, tell us about them and how, what are the timings? Uh, like my, my courses, for example, I have an academy. I have a virtual academy and they're mostly at nights, Latin American time at nights. And now I'm going to start throwing some European times uh, actually at this time, a bit earlier. So it'll be way too early for Latin American students. So how about yours? How are your courses? Well, 
my classes, I have a program called Free Friday. So we only take classes from Monday to Thursday, one hour and 15 minutes every day, you know, five hours a week. That's like 20, 23 hours per month. And my classes, they are, well, we, we use the communicative approach. So what we do is we learn a little bit about everything. We, you know, we practice our listening, our reading, our writing and speaking, but we focus a lot on speaking and writing, um, you know, producing the language so that you can communicate well. And that's, that's what I like. And I feel proud about that because, you know, a lot of schools, they only teach you from like from the book, you just have to read and listen but in my classes, you know, everything is really interactive. I explain a topic and then I'm and, and then you go into the breakout rooms and practice. Um, at the end of the course, I do certify students. Um, but only if you are in Mexico, because I don't know if I can do it to people. Who, I, I don't know if I can do that for people who are outside of the country. Um, because what we, we go through a process here. I I prepare you for the test. You take the test and you get certified, you know, usually with the TOEFL. Um, so if you are in Mexico, then, you know, that's easy. But if you are like in the United States or Canada or in South America, um, usually I prepare you for the test and then you find your own testing site in your country because I can't, you know, tell you about a testing site because I don't live there. I don't have the connections. But here in Mexico... I do have the connections and I can certify my students, my Mexican students, at least. And yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it about my my courses. And I teach students from, you know, from the beginner levels, intermediate, advanced, professional levels. Um, I always if I always like test my students level to make sure that everybody that is in a group has the same level. You know, I don't want anybody that's too advanced or too low. I want everybody that's to be on the same level so they can, you know, so their classes can be smooth. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it. So if anybody's interested, you know, send me a message. I can evaluate your, your English, tell you a little bit more, more details about the courses and maybe you can enroll into one of the courses. Very good, Fernando. Uh, just one last question about it. Um, how big are the classes? Like how big is how big are the groups? Yes, how big? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm usually, you know, managing groups from eight to fourteen students. I try not to have more than fourteen students in a group because I want to make sure that I get to know everybody personally and I can, I can, um, you know, meet everyone's needs. Eight to fourteen. Okay, very good. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's very similar to what I have. So we have the same concept. I uh, mine are from 10 to 15 as well. I don't like bigger than that because then the process will be, it, it won't be, it won't be as, as, as good if, if you want, if you can say it's good. All right. Um, okay, we're coming to an end. So if you have any questions, please throw them there on the chat because we're nearly finishing. We have about 10 more minutes. Fernando, uh, what from the methods, from the teaching English methodologies, do you stick to one of them? Like, I, I don't know. I remember back in the days 
uh, talking about TKT, for example, I remember the PPP presentation practice production, yeah, uh, TBL and, and all these. Then the CLIL came into the game, and then yeah. it was content learning interaction from, from other areas and whatever. Do you stick to them? I, I do get loads of questions from teachers and or people that are becoming teachers in Latin America, and they ask me, What methodology can I use? I, I don't really stick to them, so. I, I never, I'm never able to answer that question because they come, they come with uh, some expectations, and then I throw them out. I, I don't really stick to them. So what, what's your case then? You know, I, I've I've had the fortune to train teachers. Um, I've trained about 60 teachers, and I always tell them the same thing: like there is no um, go-to method or go-to strategy, go-to approach. You have to be eclectic. You know, you have to use a little bit of everything depending on your students. Maybe some students, they learn, you know, they, they prefer a lexical approach. Some students, they prefer, you know, a PPP, like you said, um, presentation practice production. Uh, others prefer tax-based learning, you know, doing like things like acting it out in real life. And you have to have a mixture, you know, you have to know your students. And, you know, maybe, okay, maybe today we're going to do a little bit of PPP. Today, we're going to do a little bit of TBL. To, uh, tomorrow, we're going to do a little bit of CLIL and just have a mixture to make sure that you touch everybody's needs. Um, obviously, the most important thing is communication. So as long as you have some type of communication in all of your classes, you should be good. But have you know you need to have variety in your classes. You can't just stick to one approach or one method or one strategy. You have to be eclectic. You have to... Um, be dynamic, flexible. What do you think, Hernan? Uh, I I also sorry now the camera. I also I also think it's I, I'm with you. I mean, like I don't have the teaching does not come with a manual. That's it. Yeah. It it all depends on the group. It all depends on the learning styles. It all depends on the topic. Um. Yeah, I think that we can't stick to to one to one methodology or to one teaching approach. I think we also, as teachers, we develop our own approach. Um, yeah, like I, I used all the traditional methods and then I mixed them with uh, technologies and then I mixed them with the way we think uh, yeah. and bring in the, the complex thinking paradigm in which evaluates the way human thinks and yeah. humans, sorry. And, and I mean, like we can't, we can just split things or separate them. I think everything goes together. And especially when you're communicating, everything is together, right? So yeah. you can't, I mean, teaching languages, that's why it's so good because any topic can fit into your planning, into your lesson plan, everything can fit. It doesn't matter what the, the subject is. When I, I remember when I used to teach in schools, I would come with uh, any topic to my class And then my students will go, this is not a math class. And I'm like, no, it's English. And I'm teaching math in English. So I can still do it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Hey, I have no excuse. Teacher, this is not math. I'm not, I'm not assessing math. I'm assessing English, but math is my topic. Because, yeah. because when you teach languages, everything goes with languages. So, so yeah, I don't really, I don't really look at the approach and I don't really look at the, at the, at the methodologies or whatever it is important to have them here now. And I, what I never focus on, never focus on its pronunciation. Uh, okay. I, I have, I have got some critics 
by that because teachers you're teaching wrong and i'm like no they're not going to learn to pronunciate because yeah. of me. Yeah, yeah. Things. like i focus a lot on pronunciation i'm not gonna lie um but i don't care if they have an accent as long as they pronounce words correctly you know yeah that's it that, that's the same i mean like if you're pronouncing whatever word the way whatever whatever way you're pronouncing it if you're telling me something different now i would have to interrupt and say okay come on this is i mean like for example the word shit or shed that there is a big difference between putting something into the shade or taking a shit, right? There yeah. is a, ba a big difference between them two. So now if, if they get them wrong, that, that, that's very common. Or, or, or going to the beach and the other, the female or dog, yeah. it's way too different now. But <laughs> if, if, if there is not much different, because the way I look at it is that they won't learn how to pronunciate because of Hernan. They will learn how to pronunciate because of YouTube, because of Hernan, because of Fernando. And it's a mix of everything. Whatever they listen to in English, that's adding some value into their pronunciation. So that's why I don't focus. Because when you focus, my experience now, I'm not saying that nothing is set in stone, but my experience is that if you focus on pronunciation and you keep on interrupting your class to correct pronunciation, they will get blocked. Exactly, yes. And yeah. that's why we have thousands of students that have studied English for 10 years and they still can't speak English. That's just totally unacceptable. Agree. Yeah. Like when I teach pronunciation, like I take notes of their mistakes. And then once their the activity is finished, then I tell, okay, class, I heard this. Uh, you're not supposed to pronounce it like this. You're supposed to pronounce it like this. But I try not to interrupt ever, you know, because it, it impedes fluency, like you said. 100% yes yes yeah so that's that's just my approach like I don't really have an approach like a set approach but in terms of pronunciation that's a must like I don't I don't when when do, we're doing a reading activity for example nothing's harder than reading aloud if you're not familiar with the microphone and with the camera yeah. and, and now having a teacher correcting you every every three words or repeating a word after you mispronounced it that's just not gonna work like that's just useless but yeah. that's that's my way of thinking you know that and that's why i do it because it has worked for me but fernando might do it different or other teachers around the globe might think it's different so everybody has an approach and and yeah. students do it do identify with our approaches that's a hundred percent yeah we i want to go i want to go back with what you were saying just to finish now fernando uh to what you were saying to franklin about the times and the, how much experience or how much effort you put in into it. I do want to add that they recommend uh, two hours every day, two hours every day of English exposure, at least. That could be on an English class, that could be YouTube, that could be serious, that could be anything. But if you do two hours a day, you'll make it. And, and, it, it. and it's not two hours of lecturing. It's not two hours of taking notes. It's if when you're driving, instead of putting your reggaeton, your daddy Yankee, uh -huh. go on with YouTube, go on with podcasts, go on with audiobooks, do use the shadowing technique, get a book, get the audiobook, read, and at the same time listen to what you're reading. And that will work. I I I, I would I would say. Now, Fernando, the last the last thing what I was on about is what do you think about these colleagues, these teachers that promise 
that they will bring a student from zero English to advanced English with a native pronunciation in three or six months. <laughs> oh, my God. I, uh, I always talk about that topic. I, I, they're scammers. Um, don't believe them. That's not going to happen. Even if I, I have a lot of polyglot friends. And they say that it's impossible, like unless you're going to spend like eight hours every day on that language, it's, it's going to be impossible to master it in six months and three months. It's not it's not possible at all. In three months, if you're starting from zero and let's say you dedicate two hours every day, you might reach like a pre intermediate level. Um, but yeah, guys, like don't, don't fall for those uh, for those marketing schemes. Like they're smart. They know that Latinos, we are impatient. Most people are impatient in general, but Latinos, we definitely are impatient. And, you know, and we all, most of us have had bad experiences in with learning English because, you know, the teachers in Latin America, especially in public schools, most of them don't, don't really care about teaching. They don't know, they don't know a lot of English so they 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 manipulate us, you know. They say, "Okay, well, these they have been teaching you wrong all the all this time, and I'll teach you how to learn English in three months." So they they attack you with on your weaknesses. They know you are impatient. They know you have had a bad experience. So they tell you that they have a different method and that you can learn really fast. But don't fall for that. Don't fall for those um, schemes. It's not. They're not good. They're not reliable. <laughs> what do you think, Hernandez? Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, uh, studies have said, so this is what I always, I when people ask me, not even talking about them, but when people ask me, how long will it take me to learn English? I'm like, look, if you want to make it, if you want to be able to afford paying whatever uh, English school you want, you'll be after getting five, four to six hours of English every week in class. That will That won't be enough not a hope that won't be enough so you have to put effort yourself you have to watch videos you have to go watch series that's why people come to these countries to learn english they don't learn english in the academy they learn english out in the street that's it so learning a language it's about time in hours it's not about time in months or days Exactly. So they say that it's about 1,500 hours, 1,500 hours, if you want yeah. to become a C1 from A1, all right? So they say, what they say is that it's about 200 hours per level, 200 hours per, for A1, 200 for A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. Exactly. And so if you're, if you're able to do the 200 hours in two months, you're becoming A2 in two months. So you'll be V1 after six months. But like Fernando, if he attends to my classes, for example, I, I give class, uh, my classes are Mondays and Wednesdays from seven to nine or Tuesdays and Thursdays from seven to nine. And then I give them enough material for them to study at least for another six hours per week. So they'll be whoever enrolls in my classes, they'll be, after having uh, 40 hours per month. So that's why each level with me, it's four months because each level will be 160 hours. 
But if you if you do the 160 hours in two weeks, fair play to you. Like you'll be you you'll be outstanding. Like you were saying before, the student that was in zero English and after a year became fluent because yeah. she was watching movies, she was reading, and she was doing things in English. She didn't stick to what Fernando gave her in class. So there is no way, not a chance, not a hope that one teacher will be able to bring you from A1 to B2 in six months. Nope. And yeah. in, in, in not in, in with a native accent. The only people that get a native accent are the ones that were born in that specific place or the ones that grew up with the language. That's it. After you're an adult, you're not getting a native accent. I'm sorry to say this now, but <laughs> linguists, linguists have proved it. Studies have proved it. Scientific research has has proved it. It's about the, it's about your brain. It's about neurosciences. I mean, like that's not gonna happen. We have to feel proud. We have to feel proud that we are Spanish speakers as a native language or whatever your native language is, and feel proud that you're making an effort to learn a second language. That's it. You're not gonna become native, and if you're becoming native, that won't happen in six months. I've been speaking English for. 20 years now 21 and i'm still not native <laughs> <laughs> or i'm either too stupid or that's just not possible like nah, you're, you're very intelligent man now so i wanted to add what to what you said you know hernan said that it takes about 1500 hours to you know really master the language or consider yourself um fluent in that language so the most logical the most comfortable, reliable, consistent way that you can reach that level is like two hours every day for two years. You know, yeah. then you'll have like, you know, the, your 1500 hours. So in two years, if you, if you dedicate two hours every day, then you should, you should have like a C1 level. And maybe you're not going to sound like a native, but you'll be able to participate in virtually any conversation in English. So, you know, it's just a matter of time. Do you have those two hours? Um, my student, Jackie, the one I was talking about earlier, she had four, six, seven hours every day. So, you know, she exploded. But she's, she's a young girl. She was 16, 17. She, yeah, she only had to go to school and take English classes. So that's it. Like, yeah, she had the opportunity. Not, and not everybody has opportunity. Some of us, we have spouses, we have children, we have pets, sick family. We have a lot of responsibilities, you know, understand your reality and set realistic goals. Yeah, that's it. That, and, and never give up. And, and, and uh, remember that we have income and output. Output, all right? If, if Input, sorry, not income. Input and output. The input is basically listening and reading. Listen and read as much as you can, but don't forget about your output. Don't forget to talk and don't forget to write. Uh, a good activity is to write, I don't know, 100 or 200 words every day. 100 or 200 words that's not even a page that's that's half a page that's two paragraphs yeah right make a reflection about your day how did your day go what that's happened throughout your day what do you want to change what's the goal for tomorrow what are the plans for next week do it in english but do it in a written way write every day no don't worry about it if you're doing it right or wrong when we were back in school when we were in kindergarten or whatever how did we write? How long did it take us to write properly? 
it, yeah. it only happened like when we went to fourth grade kind of thing. It, yeah. That's that's when it happened. We were like nine years, nine years old. And that's how long it took us to write and speak properly. That's so true. that's it. I think I think we're done for the for the day. Uh, don't 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 leave, uh, Fernando. We'll finish the life. I never say this when I'm on when I'm live, but it had happened to me that I finished the life, and then whoever I'm interviewing or whoever I'm chatting with leaves as well. So stay for a minute. But I want to I want to throw a, a last one last video uh, from Fernando's uh instagram don't forget english with fernando lads go and follow him this one about the broom this is a broom the verb is to sweep you sweep the debris into the dustpan this is a mop the verb is to mop This is a broom. Okay, guys. So don't forget, uh, Escoba. How do you say Escoba in Mexico? It's Escoba. Escoba, yeah. Yeah, broom, broom, mop, trapero. How do you say it in Mexico? Um, tra trapeador. Trapeador, okay. And in Spain, they say fregadora. Fregadora. What? <laughs> and For if us, they want... fregadora is the shower head. The shower head. Oh my god. In Colombia, don't ever call a girl fregadora. Uh, because they also call in Spain, they also call the mop la trapeadora también le dicen fregona. And if they're mopping, they say fregar. Fregar el suelo. We say trapear. Fregar is like annoying, no? Ah, uh, a fregar is annoying, yes. Interesting, so, interesting. So if, I, so if I say, Fernando, ya fregaste el suelo, te estoy preguntando que trapeaste el, peso, el suelo, no que si lo molestaste. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so once again, Gustavo, Daniel, everybody that, it's, that has been uh, on this live, don't forget, follow Fernando, follow me if you haven't, and wait for the next uh, teaching talk. It'll be hopefully next week with some other teacher from around the globe. Thanks a million again.